Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Our cyber report, sponsored by Northrop Grumman, which normally airs every Wednesday, has been preempted to allow us to discuss the Finnish government's decision in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine to start the parliamentary debate whether to join NATO, a major step for a nation that shares an 810-mile border with Russia and has long cherished its independent status. The government report on changes in the security environment makes clear that Europe and Finland's security dramatically changed on February 24, 2022, with Vladimir Putin's decision to attack Ukraine. The report makes clear that Moscow's actions go well beyond illegally invading its neighbor. Quote, Russia's declared goal is to change the European security order, end quote, the report says. The report also reads like an indictment of Russia's savage actions in Ukraine, Moscow's proven track record of violating the agreements it signed from UN strictures, Helsinki and Budapest Accords, and even the January 2022 agreement among the five uh, nuclear powers that atomic weapons should be reserved exclusively for defense and cannot win a war with Uh, Finnish officials pointing out that Russia continuously tries to threaten uh, its neighbors with the use of nuclear weapons. Russia also cannot be trusted as it has used hybrid cyber disinformation and other means to undermine democratic governments deemed unfriendly among them, Finland. Like Finland, Sweden is also inching toward NATO membership with its government working on a similar report that will be sent uh, to its parliament in May. Indeed, uh, Sweden's Magdalena Andersson, Uh, The prime minister has said that her Social Democratic Party has decided to back NATO membership and that the country could actually uh, start the process as early as June. And it was an extraordinary press conference today uh, where uh, Anderson was joined in Stockholm by Finland's Sana Marin uh, to uh, discuss uh, NATO membership. Indeed, uh, when NATO foreign ministers met in Brussels, recently representatives from both nations attended. Joining us to discuss the monumentality of what is happening and what's next star Dr. Stephen Flanagan, a senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation, and his colleague, Jean Germanovich, uh, who is an international defense researcher at the federally funded think tank. Steve served on the National Security Council, was the National Intelligence Officer for Europe, and also served on the policy planning staff at the State Department. Jean has supported wargaming and strategic planning efforts in the office of the Secretary of Defense, as well as the Marine Corps, and both have written very thoughtfully uh, on Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Gentlemen, thanks so very much for joining us. Good to be with you, Vago. Thank you. Good to be back with you again, Vago. Uh, an absolute pleasure. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems uh, sponsors our coverage of strategy. And HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's annual Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show. And Bell sponsored our coverage of the Army Aviation Uh, Association of America's annual symposium. Uh, Steve, uh, start us off, right? I mean, certainly tectonic, uh, especially if both of these nations manage to join NATO, although for what it's worth, both are EU members and the union's charter includes Article 42, which is uh, their mutual defense clause, just like Article 5 uh, in in NATO. Um, Although both want to be in NATO, 
they also likely raise concerns among some members. Uh, for example, this is exactly the kind of provocation that Russia is worried about, some will, will argue. Uh, indeed, uh, as opposed to looking at it the other way around, Russia is the one terrifying its, its neighbors, which is why they want to join the alliance. Why should Finland and Sweden join the alliance, and how does the alliance benefit from their membership? Sure, Bagra. Let me start with that. First of all, as you noted, this is really the be this is a, another point along a journey that began for Finland and Sweden at the end of the Cold War. Uh, both countries quickly uh, were anxious to develop their ties with NATO in a in a period of uh, of uh, lessened conflict and tension uh, between East and West. Uh, they, of course, were deepening uh, their relationships also with their European uh, neighbors. The, uh, they became when the uh, first of all, the North Atlantic Cooperation Council and later the Partnership for Peace was formed in 1995. They became charter members and very active members and contributors to that. Uh, and at the same time, they deepened their ties uh, to NATO. In uh, fast forward to 2014, uh, when the first phase, you could say, of Russia's war against Europe began uh, in the seizure, uh, the illegal annexation of Crimea and the initiation of the, of the counterinsurgency, uh, the insurgency in, in the Donbass, uh, th both countries decided it was time to uh, begin to deepen that cooperation with NATO. Uh, and NATO offered uh, to, to them and, and several others what was called Enhanced Opportunity Partnership, which meant that they would be deepening uh, some of their operational and practical cooperation with the alliance and becoming more involved in some of its political consultations as well. So this has been, uh, this has been some of the groundwork. And over the last few years, uh, the, uh, Finland and Sweden have both deepened their uh, bilateral defense cooperation with the United States through various statements of intent beginning in 2016 and 2018, a trilateral Finland, Sweden, US but also deepening ties with NATO. So this is, this is a web of relationships that's evolving and now coming uh, with the shock, as you said, that the Finnish report on the change security situation noted that it's now time to begin to look not at kind of a closer association with developing ties and, and practical cooperation with NATO, but actually undertaking the solemn decision of whether or not to join or not to join NATO. And as Prime Minister Marin pointed out, there are risks to both, both options. Uh, either joining or not joining, but let me uh, let me stop there and let Jean perhaps talk about the benefits of uh, to both NATO and to Finland and Sweden of if uh, both countries uh, take this decision. No, thank you, Steve. Uh, and, and I think it's important to point out that the baseline of cooperation between Finland and Sweden and NATO uh, starts from a fairly high level, uh, especially given those developments since 2014. Uh, both participate in um, NATO's major exercises and contribute to the NATO response force. Uh, both are so-called enhanced opportunity partners, which is a group of six nations, and also have a uh, different form called 30 plus two, um, which is a special venue for NATO to talk specifically to Sweden and Finland on uh, sensitive matters related to the Baltic Sea area. Uh, there's agreements to share sensitive information uh, an extension of which was recently activated. So now during this crisis, while they're not actually members, they are for all of the Ukraine discussions in the room. Um, and there are various host nation logistics agreements. So uh, that, that makes the step to membership a little bit easier. In terms of the benefits uh, for Finland and Sweden, of course, it's the Article 5 uh, guarantee and the certainty and predictability that uh, comes with that. 
Uh, and uh, that includes, uh, uh, as uh, Prime Minister Marn pointed out, uh, the ultimate guarantee uh, of, of nuclear uh, protection. Um, and secondly, there would be uh, a potential lessening of uh, reliance on this web of cooperation that's uh, developed over the years through intricate and uh, at times a little convoluted uh, bilateral, trilateral, and, and various minilateral uh, formats and uh, security arrangements. It would, uh, in essence, greatly simplify things. Uh, the benefits to the alliance are uh, exceptional too. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very capable militaries uh, with high levels of interoperability. Um, they understand Russia very well, their history, their intentions, their, they monitor their day-to-day -day activities and are trusted source of uh, intelligence. There are some challenges that, that will uh, come with uh, potential membership for, for both sides we can talk about as well. Thanks uh, very much for that uh, uh, summation. Uh, and indeed, right, I mean, Cold Response 22 was a, a military exercise uh, that just happened and involved uh, Swedes, uh, Finns, uh, as well as obviously NATO allies uh, and, and, and partners. Um, let me, Steve, ask you whether or not there's going to be any opposition from the alliance. Uh, and other alliance members who will see this as potentially provocative, uh, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, even some of the most leading nations or, or uh, officers or officials and politicians from leading NATO nations have sort of said, hey, we, we've taken many steps too far. The Baltics, for example, should not be uh, part of NATO. I always like to point out too late, they're already in the alliance and, and they should be covered uh, if they are being uh, threatened as they are by, by the Russians. Will there be any opposition from within the alliance? And more importantly, how does Russia respond, right? Russia has been saber rattling both of these countries. Uh, indeed, I should give a special shout out to Swedes who over the past decade and a half have been steadily pointing out how the Russians have gotten increasingly provocative uh, in, in, in the Baltic. Will there be any opposition to the candidacy of these two countries and how do the Russians respond? Well, Vago, on the first one, I really don't expect there to be any uh, strong opposition within the alliance. There certainly are in, within different member states. Uh, there may be some anxiety or concerns about uh, overextension. Uh, the idea that, as you noted, uh, you know, NATO would be doubling. You know, you can cite these statistics. NATO would be doubling uh, its border with Russia, and are we really prepared to do that? And we can talk about that because when you talk about adding. Uh, a very well defended uh, a border that Finland, I think, could take care of mostly on its own, at least in the initial phases of any future conflict. But, uh, but the, um, I, I don't expect, there was some concern that perhaps Hungary, which has of course been waffling on uh, and, and uncertain in supporting some of the actions that uh, uh, NATO has taken, not necessarily as an organization, but as a, a collective a, a group of states who are taking independent actions to support Ukraine's uh, own defenses. Hungary has been the outlier in, in you know, disallowing transit of, of certain equipment through its uh, territory. Uh, but I have seen other signs that suggest that uh, Orban and others will, will uh, who, who, within the alliance who may have some hesitation would probably go along given that there is a very strong, uh, I think, support uh, from everything I've read uh, within, uh, within the alliance for this step. Not that they don't, there won't be some deliberation, not that there won't be some parliaments. Uh, you know, we don't know, uh, you know, some of the parliaments in, in some countries that have uh, uh, certain elements favorable to Russia, say in Bulgaria or other, you know, it's, it'll, it's a 30 nation process. And we don't know um, whether there could be uh, some impediments to 
ratification, even if NATO does make the decision as a uh, as a um, uh, as a set of countries to offer the beginning of the accession process at the Madrid summit, which is what many are expecting now. In terms of Russian saber rattling, well, the Russians certainly have, as you said, they have been both. Uh, saber rattling with with their words, unfriendly visits, uh, even in the chief of the general staff coming to Finland and talking to Finns about a few years ago about the dangers of ever going down that path to NATO membership. Um, uh, the uh, the actual actions that she said violating, uh, there were even some actions even in the last few weeks violating Finnish airspace, uh, submarine incidents uh, along the Swedish coast uh, that were linked to the Russians. The Russians haven't hesitated, but uh, right now, let's face it, they're uh, they're facing a uh, uh, a bit of overextension themselves right now and drawing forces from various military districts uh, to support the effort going into the Donbass. Uh, they were unsuccessful, of course, in their campaign to capture Kyiv. So I'm not so sure that the Russians are willing to uh, take any, any, I mean, they might, they might undertake some actions, you know, threatening perhaps uh, further deployments of nuclear weapons close to the Finnish border or whatever. But I mean, the fact is there's a huge <laughs> set of nuclear weapons already facing Finland and the Kola Peninsula. Uh, and uh, in Kaliningrad along the, you know, in terms of the Baltic threat. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, the Russians may huff and puff, but I'm not sure that the Finns are going to be deterred if they've decided that this is the right course for them to take. And, uh, and I, I think the Swedes will, will uh, also um, show kind of resolve in the face of any kind of intimidation. Gene, how long do you think this process uh, is, is going to take? Uh, right, Anderson, uh, you know, Marin uh, has said that it, this process will move quickly, and and so is Anderson, uh, and so it it could move remarkably quickly. How quickly does it move on the alliances side of things? Secretary General Stoltenberg has commented uh, that it could be as quick as several months. Um, historically speaking, the last several rounds have taken between twelve and eighteen months. Um, just to give an example, um, we recall North Macedonia a little while ago. Uh, joined the alliance, and that involved a whole host of very complicated issues surrounding its name and the dispute um, with Greece over its name that had to be resolved, so a much more complicated situation. Sweden and Finland, bottom line is they meet the military requirements, so the the time uh, will be dictated by politics and the speed of ratification, and that's a little bit difficult to predict because we don't know the status of all 30 governments uh, you know, in the summer. But in theory, it could be, in fact, as Stoltenberg says, a couple of months. Let me ask uh, Jean, uh, you this question. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that this uh, Finnish membership in particular raises certain challenges. Obviously, it doubles the alliance's border uh, with uh, Russia. Um, what, what are some of the other challenges that Finnish membership, uh, you know, what are the things to be aware of? What are the things to plan for um, after, even during the process of accession, right, that we should be bearing in mind? I think as Steve alluded, during the process, um, Russia has uh, options in its toolkit um, that it could use to uh, harass or signal. Uh, the good news here is that uh, Sweden and Finland um, have taken what's called their comprehensive security very seriously. And today's uh, report by the Finns uh, indicates that they'll continue to do contingency planning in the cyber space, in the hybrid space, uh, in relation to um, migration being weaponized. Um, and of course, they have uh, outstanding situational awareness and, and can monitor day-to-day -day activities. 
there, there are ongoing, um, you know, probably mostly behind closed doors conversations right now uh, about the extent of um, protection that the Alliance um, would be willing to give explicitly uh, in the months during this uh, transition. And there would probably have to be some understanding of that. Um, but these countries are very capable of taking care of themselves and a little bit counterintuitively now may be the right time. Um, the Russian hybrid toolkit um, doesn't appear to be working that well. And the conventional toolkit is uh, otherwise occupied in Ukraine. Um, I want to continue this conversation, but first a word from our sponsors, GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage, and L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of Join All Domain Command and Control. Steve, I've got a, a question for you, but I think you want to make a point, uh, a, as we would say in think tank land, a two-finger interjection on, on what Gene just said. Yes. Uh, what I wanted to note that the, in terms of the challenges and how the Finns and Swedes will work together, even the Finnish report released today noted that uh, both countries would need to make close cooperation in, during the accession process and that, uh, that would both facilitate their preparation, but also uh, the response to Russia's possible reaction. And there's a lot below that, those, uh, those sort of diplomatic words. There's a lot beneath that, which is the deepening cooperation that those two countries have had uh, between themselves in, in the last several years in, in both uh, exchanges and exercises you mentioned earlier, but also uh, uh, deepening their plans to defend some of their uh, common regions, and then also expanding that out to working with uh, one of our, our key NATO ally in the existing NATO ally in, in northeastern Europe, uh, the, the Norwegians. So that that cooperation also provides a basis uh, for some comfort as the as the uh, Finns and the Swedes go through the accession process and wondering, you know, what if what if some kind of military provocation happened in that context? They have a lot of connectivity to existing NATO capabilities uh, in the region and with each other. Uh, and I should point out, right, there's a joint command center uh, and there are uh, Swedish staff officers in Helsinki, just like there are uh, Finnish staff uh, officers in, in uh, Stockholm. Um, Steve, let me ask you this question. There is a tendency of saying, uh, you know, discussing this as Russians, Russia's invasion of a war on Ukraine. But this is actually far larger, isn't it? Russia is literally at war with the West to reorder European security. Why are we defining this conflict so narrowly than for what it is, which is actually a much wider war, a much wider proxy war in which the United States and the EU and NATO are, are not bystanders, but are actively engaged? Well, I, I think, Vago, in fact, that what's been happening is that it was easy to compartment in the early phases and, of course, building out of the, uh, the conflict in the Donbass, the sense that this was a low-level engagement between uh, Russia and Ukraine that, that could be contained and managed. But as it, it began to escalate, and I think also thanks to the brilliant public diplomacy, frankly, of, of President Zelensky and his team, uh, they've, I think, heightened Western awareness of the fact that this is a much, this has much broader implications. That this is indeed uh, Ukraine is fighting a, a, a proxy war uh, on behalf of the West uh, and taking all a lot of the uh, the sacrifices and, and of course, the, the enormous loss of, of life and destruction of property that we've seen uh, in the defense of the principles that that it it holds dear to its own country and that it, it hoped to realize uh, in both membership in the European Union and in NATO. Uh, sadly, that seems uh, quite a bit far off right now, but, but I do think that there is this growing recognition. Uh, and of course, as, as Western involvement deepens and, and the need to supply Ukraine with additional capabilities, uh, yes, initially to, to defend themselves against the capture of Kyiv, 
uh, and the loss of national uh, governmental control. But now uh, for the much, what's likely to be a much more intense and, uh, and gruesome battle uh, for control of the Donbass um, with uh, heavy forces on both sides uh, to be engaged, uh, what, what it seems like almost imminently, uh, and where the Ukrainians are going to need and are asking for uh, some much more robust Western assistance. So it is becoming more apparent, even on the ground, that this is a this is a war in Ukraine for the future of Europe. And even before that, it was well, it was very much clear that that Ukraine and the whole Black Sea region. Uh, was a key uh, part of the of the struggle uh, for what kind of Europe would we see a Europe of spheres of influence, as Russia would like to see, or a Europe that was whole free and at peace uh, and uh, uh, governed by dem- uh, uh, peaceful democratic countries. Gene, let me uh, put the question to you of um, whether or not Europe is going to stand firm despite the nature of this threat, right? The United States is steadily doing more for Ukraine. Uh, President Biden today announced another $800 million in aid. Defense Secretary Austin has met with defense CEOs to enlist their help in developing systems tailored to helping Ukrainian forces. Other nations obviously have stepped up as well. The checks with tanks, armored vehicles from the Slovaks. Boris Johnson was was among the first to uh, be supporting Kiev and indeed is sending better and, and more uh, capable weapons like the Brimstone guided missile. He was in Kiev, uh, you know, sending an incredibly positive message there in his blue business suit instead of it being in battle rattle. But other nations that started strong appear to be flagging. Germany is among um, among those nations, right? I mean, a little bit of concern that it hasn't transferred some of the systems that it's uh, said said that it would. Is this going to be a situation where? Putin actually ends up succeeding, separating the United States from its allies and partners, that it's beginning to dawn on people, as as you said, Steve, right? Some euphoria right away. Hey, let's help them with an expectation they would fail kind of quickly and we kind of go back to normal. And now everybody's recognizing, holy cow, maybe there is no going back to normal, even though that's what some people really ardently desire. Does this coalition stick together, Gene? I'm not so sure that we're going to see an unraveling. And I think um, we can thank Putin for that. Um, I think that just the last week with the atrocities that started in in Bucha and um, we'll now see how Mariupol looks, um, this is gonna continue to shock the conscience in the West. Um, I would also like to point out that, of course, uh, not all countries contribute capabilities uh, visibly. Some prefer to do it below the radar. Um, There's an enormous logistical flow um, uh, heading in, uh, spearheaded by the United States. Um, So I I, I foresee that continuing. Um, You know, nations will have their own um, uh, considerations, but so far so good on the unity front. Steve, do you get a sense that allies and partners are going to stick together or are nations like Germany, Austria, Hungary, and others ultimately decide, right? I mean, Zelensky has been very critical of France uh, in part saying, hey, they're they're not really interested in helping us, for example. I think the French would, would differ uh, with that characterization. Um, but what's your sense in terms of unity on this issue? Well, of course, some of what we see uh, in France is, uh, you know, we have uh, we have the uh, Macron in the midst of a of a tight presidential election, and, and against someone who is very much against, uh, you know, a tougher stance on Russia and uh, 
uh, and even opposing in some aspects of uh, France's participation in NATO. I think the French, I, I was quite impressed with the way the French moved quickly to deploy. Uh, they, they happen to have the element of the very, they have to be the uh, lead in the very high readiness joint task force. They deployed those forces um, to, uh, to, uh, to Romania very quickly uh, in response to the efforts to bolster NATO's deterrent presence along the periphery. Uh, I, I've not followed as closely, uh, frankly, that, you know, where the French have, have gone in their uh, security assistance uh, uh, to, uh, to Ukraine. But I think that the Germans, too, and the fact that the Europe as a whole took that enormous decision uh, to use ironic, the ironically titled uh, peace facility uh, last month to fund uh, a, a broad range of, uh, of, of arms transfers uh, as, you know, as a collective, as a, as a union, uh, and then backed up by the visit uh, last weekend of, of President von der Leyen and, and High Representative uh, Borrell uh, to, uh, to Kiev to, to express that solidarity. I thought those were two uh, in, important uh, actual and, 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 uh, and symbolic gestures that suggest that uh, the European Union uh, as a whole will continue to, to support the Ukrainians in this effort. Uh, in fact, you, could, you know, at some level, you could say it is it is somewhat of a recognition that uh, if, if we don't help the Ukrainians, uh, we could very well be worrying about uh, having to fight this war on the periphery of Europe. Gene, let me bring, bring you into this. Russia is stepping on the gas. Uh, Vladimir Putin has uh, brushed aside uh, criticism uh, of casualties on either side, saying that the civilian fatalities have been uh, have been faked. Uh, there are already some accusations that chemical weapons may have been used in Mariupol uh, and indeed nuclear weapons could could be used. Putin has made clear, despite economic pressure or sanctions, uh, that he's cracking down at home. We're in a neo-Stalinist uh, era uh, in, in Russia. Our mutual friend Vladimir Karamurza has uh, been arrested uh, and is going to spend about two weeks uh, in jail on not having identification or some other trumped up charge. Uh, and, and, you know, what I hope that everybody tries to do their best to you know, re remember him and 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 make sure that he is uh, released and manages to uh, make it back to the United States. Gene, what do you think is next as Russia stamps on the gas? Right? I mean, what's what's the end game here? What does it look like? Does it take two weeks, one month, five months, six months? Right? Jens Stoltenberg is talking about a longer conflict. What what should we have in mind as we go into this this new phase? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm willing to make a prediction of that. A couple of factors to keep in mind. Um, uh, you know, one is uh, how quickly uh, and effectively can Russia re-aggregate uh, combat power and make a push, uh, and, and the same on the, uh, on the Ukrainian side. Uh, and two, weapons of mass destruction. I think that that's something um, I alluded to the atrocities earlier could... Um, uh, change the uh, perspectives of uh, the United States, the rest of the West, on how willing um, it would be to transfer um, more advanced weaponry um, and weaponry that requires, uh, you know, uh, training of Ukrainians uh, potentially outside of uh, Ukraine. The, the, those are going to be the two factors that I watch for to see how this unfolds. Steve, let me put this last question uh, to you. Um, there's still a strong streak in Washington and in some Western capitals that somehow this is a failure of the West, a failure of diplomacy, that Putin somehow 
was pushed into this corner and we're the ones who, who did the pushing. You were in the White House and the National Security Council literally uh, at the tail end of the Cold War as the, and as the Cold War was ending and we were reconstituting to this new era. Um, there has been enormous engagement on all these issues ever since. Is this Washington's failure, Washington's fault, this administration's fault, or merely Putin pursuing the goals that he said he was going to pursue? I don't think it's a failure on the part of the West to try to engage Russia uh, from the beginning at the end of the Cold War, at the end of the way the German unification process was pursued, the way in which uh, the United States and its NATO allies initially began the conversations about NATO enlargement. All of that, uh, the early phases was very much focused on dialogue with Russia, dialogue with the other countries in Central Eastern Europe about the future security order, a recognition or at least a belief on the part of NATO that the two proven institutions, the European Union or the European community and NATO were the two elements that were the most uh, capable and reliable and should be built upon, but that a cooperative relationship with Russia could be an integral part of that even to the point of suggesting, and indeed there were official memos that are now in the public record that were written about this, if Russia made the kind of transformation that, it, uh, that say Germany did between 1955 and, I mean, between 1946 and 1955 when it, when it entered NATO itself, uh, that you could even imagine a, a completely changed European security structure uh, or a transformed NATO that would be less focused on collective defense against a potential adversary in the, in the continent and more about collective Security collective, uh, you know, dealing with uh, you know various uh, uprisings and and uh, and instability on the periphery. Uh, that of course didn't happen. Putin was, uh, I think, all along uh, when he came to power, was suspicious of the West. Uh, he he didn't like the notion of uh, that the United States and had all these other allies, and and he really didn't have any. That there was this inequity. Uh, there were efforts to try to adjust that in a way to make it more comfortable for Russia to show that this was really could be a partnership between Russia and, and NATO as a whole. Uh, but none of that seemed to work. And in the end of the day, it became clear that Putin, having said that the breakup of the Soviet Union was the, the greatest uh, uh, catastrophe in Russian history, had decided uh, certainly by 2007 to uh, reverse that. And, and we now see some of the sad uh, consequences of, of, that, uh, of that decision. I just want to ask briefly this question to both of you. Are we in World War III, right? Just as World War I looked different from World War II, that World War III may look different from World War II. Are we actually in World War III or the start of it or the start of a neo Like, How do you guys categorize where we are? Because most of the Cold War was confrontation, but that we acknowledged it in the Cold War, right? I mean, this, the Soviet Union was a provocateur throughout the 20s and 30s, and we sort of failed to fully recognize it, but we did after World War II. And then it was manifest in a whole series of proxy wars. We're trying to force the Chinese to choose between us and the Russians, and that's a choice they're not ready to make, and indeed, it's not a choice the Indians want to make either, right? Are, are we seeing a conflict that will be very different fought economically through sanctions, economic, diplomatic. Co what, what are we seeing coalesce now? And maybe Steve, you start us in Gene, you can wrap it up or vice versa, whoever wants to start this. Sure, I'll start. I, I think this is, a, this is certainly a global war between those who support democracy, Ukraine's efforts to advance its democracy and to protect its sovereign, uh, sovereignty 
that extends beyond Europe. Clearly, we know that you know Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Japanese, others, and, and uh, Koreans are, are supporting assistance to Ukraine in this effort. And they, they have been sort of part of this wider community of democracies that NATO has reached out to over the years uh, in this notion that, uh, and, and in other contexts outside of NATO to, to build this wider community of democracies. And you're absolutely right to point to one of the uncertain uh, cards in this, if it, if it is to extend to be a global war, is what does China do? Does China decide uh, to double down on its, uh, uh, its uh, un unlimited partnership as was discussed in the document uh, she and, and Putin signed uh, earlier this year? Uh, do, they, do they double down and, and join Russia uh, or do they uh, take a somewhat more restrained view, but given that they do have important, uh, had had important interests in, in Ukraine and, and look to Ukraine uh, as, a, as a potential partner in a number of areas, particularly in, in development of certain technologies and par, uh, part, of, uh, part of its own engagement in Europe uh, and, 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 uh, and supplier of, food, of foodstuffs? Uh, or does it does it cast its lot? And India again, another a country that that may be forced to decide, as this does increasingly take on the the uh, the at least the appearance of a of a new kind of of world war. Uh, this is a, a dangerous moment in time where um, there is room for um, either accidental or deliberate escalation, uh, and uh, all countries are seeking to. Uh, for, for arrangements to increase their security. And as uh, the, the Finnish um, strategy today outlines, uh, the situation has fundamentally changed. And that is why this pair, to bring it back to the beginning of our uh, uh, discussion, is uh, probably looking to join the alliance. Perhaps we can close with uh, one note that relates to sort of the global situation and the unfolding contest between democracies and autocracies and uh, state that uh, in terms of their contributions to NATO, we should not forget um, Finland and Sweden's uh, exceptional credentials on democratic values. This is an alliance after all founded on those uh, and it is a, a political and value-based alliance in addition to being a military alliance and uh, they would be a, a, a tremendous uh, contribution in that regard. Uh, I think they would make uh, terrific uh, members and uh, look forward to wel welcoming both. Uh, again, as democracies, the greatest thing about the NATO alliance is um, countries freely choose their uh, associations, which is uh, to reject sort of the way the, the Russians are, are doing things. And I also love the comment that Putin made, you know, Russia will not be isolated. I, I think you, you know, Hey, buddy, you you made your choices. Uh, don't do the crime if you don't want to do the time. Ultimately, Russia is going to be punished for this, and Russia is going to be punished uh, in the long span of history. Uh, I when Putin joins uh, a long list of tyrants uh, that have attacked their peaceful neighbors. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure. Look forward to having you both back on again uh, very very soon. Uh, and I should uh, point out, right, uh, Finland. Uh, almost presaging this decision late last year, uh, decided to go with the F-35 Lightning II fighter, uh, you know, as, as one of those elements of trying to guarantee Finnish uh, security independently at that point uh, when uh, NATO membership had not had as much uh, traction. And Gene, I know you joined us for a conversation on that. So wanted to give uh, people a shout out on it. And, and both of you guys wrote, have written very thoughtfully uh, on these and other issues. Thanks so very much again. Really appreciate having you both on the show. 
And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.